With the power of Tandem HR, you are in the fast lane on Main Street with Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein, the show for business and jobs. Now, the champion of networking, the advocate of jobs, the guru of business, your host, Shalom Klein. We are all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You are on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. It's a live show. You could call into the program at 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600. And as a reminder, we are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Check out their website, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. So a jam-packed week indeed, and I'm thrilled to be joined by our first guest on the program, Melissa Capassi, um, who has developed an app in partnership and with the fantastic support of the Allstate Foundation that is helping end child hunger in schools. And Alyssa, I know that uh, there is quite a story behind this, so uh, let's get right let's re- get right to it. Alyssa, thanks for joining us on Get Down to Business. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the show, Mr. Klein. Absolutely. It's a pleasure. So, uh, Alyssa, uh, you are... are Doing, you are truly a Wonder Woman, and I know that that is uh, that that might be an overused expression while the movie is uh, is hitting box office records. But I, I certainly think that anybody that's rolling up their sleeves to make an impact uh, deserves that title. Alyssa, what's the story? Why did you decide to make this happen uh, and and change the world? Well, I tutored at an organization called Breakthrough New York. It's an organization that brings together people who want to make an impact in their community through teaching people who are younger than them uh, with people who need assistance academically. And on my first day at Breakthrough, they were serving sandwiches after school. And I asked my coordinator, why are we giving these kids sandwiches? It's been a couple hours since lunch, and it's going to be an hour to at most for the dinner. Are their parents going to be angry that, you know, they're spoiling your, you're spoiling their appetite? And I'll never forget her response. She opened and said, we don't know whether these kids are getting dinner. We don't know whether they're getting lunch. The majority of these kids, their families can't afford to pay, but on average, $2.35 for them to receive lunch at school, let alone receive enough food to have a sustainable dinner. Uh, That's incredible. Uh, You you certainly have identified a very, very important challenge. So you've decided to do something about it. Um, Organization is called Team Fig. Let's start with that right there. What's the uh, meaning behind uh, behind that name? Uh, So Team Fig is the name we competed under uh, the Peace First House, which is in uh, tandem with the Allstate Foundation. Um, and so we chose the name Team Fig because we wanted a name that represented what we wanted to bring about in our community. And upon researching it, we realized that Figs represented wellness and prosperity, and those were things we wanted to impart on the community. So, Alyssa, uh, how old are you? Uh, I just turned 17. <laughs> amazing, amazing what you're doing. And Team Fig, I know this uh, this isn't you alone. I know you have some other wonderful young ladies on the project. Tell us, uh, Tell us about the team. Um, so, there are uh, five of us on the team right now. Uh, 
I'm the leader, so that means I organize everything. I help both the tech side, uh, the media and marketing side, and the business group. Um, and then there is Fiona Shu. She is eight years old. She handles the majority of our media accounts and marketing. Uh, there is Ivy Mao. She just turned 16. Um, she does a lot of the user interface and outreach. There is Maya White. She does a lot of our business development, and we are planning to become a nonprofit organization. So she's handling a lot of that. And then there is Emma Yang. Oh, and Maya is 13, and Emma is also 13. Uh, Emma does the majority of the program. She's kind of the tech team. Um, and, uh, yeah. Uh, amazing. Uh, so, Alyssa, so that is the makeup of Team Fig and lots of meaning behind behind that name. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, you competed uh, at, at this uh, Good Starts Young rally, uh, which is hosted by the Allstate Foundation uh, and I know has been very supportive of the work of Team Fig, uh, clearly uh, addressing a very important uh, challenge. So, Team Fig, you, you pitched an app prototype. You mentioned about the technology. Let's talk about the solution to that challenge. Um, tell us uh, a little bit about how you are, uh, I guess, changing the world and hoping to end child hunger in schools. Uh, so, yes, our goal is to make it so that all children can receive uh, lunch at school. Because, again, that's oftentimes the only way that they can get sustainable food, which is at school. Um, and we want to do it through education. So, currently, the way that many school districts, school systems work with Take for Lunch is that a parent or guardian goes online and deposits money into their child's lunch account. And then their child uses their ID card or some other card uh, to swipe and money is deducted from their meal and then they get their food. Um, so we want to have a platform that's very similar. We want it to be one where parents can go on and pay for their own child's lunch, but then they have the option at the end to pay it forward. Paying it forward means that they would pay the equivalent of one or two meals for another child, which would be under $5 for two meals um, for another child in their community. And then money will go towards the registered parent and family um, and paying towards some of their lunches. The reason why this is different from current systems, which go to pay off debt, uh, school lunch debt, we want it so it doesn't get to the point where people are in hundreds of dollars of school lunch debt. There are districts that have racked up millions of dollars in school lunch debt, and when a child gets into the lunch debt, they can get alternative meals and be shamed by schools for it. So we want to make it so it doesn't get to that extreme and sort of stop it at the heart of it. Incredible. So uh, I, I know that uh, you are working to uh, to address a challenge, not in one particular school or in one particular school district. What is your vision for uh, what uh, Food for Thought and, and Team Fig, where will you uh, where are you hoping the 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 platform to be in five years from now? Uh, I'm not sure about five years, but I can tell you about our plans for the next two. During the school year, we want to finish developing an application. Since we know it's going to be handling money transactions, we want to make sure it's as secure as possible. And by the end of this year, we're hoping to also be a nonprofit organization. So any donations, any people who decide to pay it forward can receive tax deductions for it. Um, and, again, uh, and then next school year, we're hoping to do a beta test. Basically, that would entail three different schools. We're hoping to have varying level of uh, average income with three different schools. And we're hoping to test it in those three schools. Uh, if it's a success, then we plan to launch it. Fantastic. So uh, you and your fellow Team Fig members uh, 
all attend the same school uh, on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Is that correct? Yes. Okay. So uh, our show, we are broadcasting uh, here in Chicago, uh, but I I know we have uh, listeners to our podcast from around the country. Uh, Do you believe that this is a challenge that's impacting uh, folks in in all neighborhoods, and are there any stories that you've been hearing from from uh, f- from folks out and about in the community that have particular particularly impacted um, your your passion, your desire to to make an impact? The national issue. Uh, the School Nutrition Association did a 2015 study, and in it they found that 76 percent of American school districts had school lunch debt. So with application we're building, we want it to be one that is national. Uh, currently, we're trying to expand our team, actually, uh, to beyond our school, beyond our state, um, and beyond the East Coast, um, because we know that this is an application that can help people all across America. No child should go hungry, and no child should be ashamed for their family's financial circumstance. So our overall goal is to make it so that as many children as possible can receive the meals that they need at school. Um, and that these children aren't shamed for something that they can't control. Well, we are quickly running out of time, Alyssa, and I want to make sure, of course, that our listeners know how they can find out more. We'll get to that in a moment. Just real quick, do you have any advice for other uh, young entrepreneurs, folks uh, your age that are out there uh, in high schools uh, around the country that have an idea, whether it's for uh, to make a social impact or even a business idea? What advice do you have for them? You're often told when you're a child or a teenager that you should wait until you're an adult to enact change and to put your ideas into uh, practice. But I think that what the research challenge and what working with my friends on this application has taught me is that the best people to address problems that are facing youth are often youth themselves because we can blatantly understand what's happening. If you have an idea, look online, look around in your community for ways to make it a reality. That's great advice, Alyssa. That's great advice. Uh, uh, We've got about uh, 20 seconds remaining. How can our listeners get involved? Uh, Where can they find out more? Uh, Our website is Land Renovation, but if you search online for uh, Team Fig or Food Fair Block, uh, you can find access to our social media accounts and go find the page. Fantastic. Search for Team Fig Online. You will find a lot about their important and incredible work. Alyssa Capacity, the uh, the founder, one of the co-founders of Team Fig, thank you so much for joining us on Get Down to Business. We'd love to follow your progress and your story, and we certainly will do that in the coming weeks and months ahead. But we've got more information about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, this show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And I'm thrilled to be joined by our next guest, a serial entrepreneur with expertise in healthcare and technology, Christine Correa, the, uh, the CEO and co-founder of Joni, which uh, formerly was called Impact Health. Uh, Christine, welcome to the program. I know that you uh, you have a philosophy that our sick system can be uh, transformed into a health system by aligning healthcare organizations with patients and by arming healthcare organizations with innovative of thinking, tools, and collaboration. Christine, I am excited to hear about the impact that you are having. Welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me. Appreciate being on. Absolutely. So tell, uh, why don't we start with your story? I know that you have spent over 15 years uh, focused in a very interesting place involved in both healthcare and technology. Tell us a little bit about what you've been doing and how it's led uh, to what you are doing today. 
Yeah, most definitely. So my co-founder and I actually met about 12 years ago at a startup. I was coming in to help them get acquired, and she was an, still a software engineer at that point. Um, that startup was um, one of the first pioneers um, helping individuals in what was called Part D figure out how to get a recommendation online. After we finished, you know, that company got acquired, we moved on, and Kaiser was one of our clients there and asked us if we would come join them to help them do something similar, which they called, if you would help us flip Medicare so they could um, get a return on investment of about $7.6 billion. We did that for three years um, and were very quick actual experts in the industry in Medicare, which was a weird sort of place to have expertise in at that time. Um, and from there, we started our first company, which was called Humanize Health. And what we were, we were like the MacGyvers of health insurance. And so we would work on behalf of usually board of directors for a health insurance company and help them implement pretty large-scale projects and initiatives that were, you know, about $100 million plus um, in project scope. They were things like where... They had switched hands a couple of times with maybe two or three of the big five consulting firms. And um, usually it was something very, um, I mean, like the company could get shut down. The health plan could get shut down. It might be in danger of losing one of their business areas like Medicaid or Medicare. So we would come in and um, kind of get them back on their feet. We did that for five years, had a great business had 25 employees, had, you know, every pretty much about 85 health plans that we worked for, most little ones and mid-sized ones and some small ones. Then one day we were at a dinner party, and um, one of our friends who was a film director asked us, since we were in health insurance, if we could help him figure out why one of his, uh, well, while Anthem really was the plan he had, wasn't covered covering his doctor visits or any of his medications. And we were surprised. He was on the Purdue Guild. He had a great plan on paper. But as we kept looking into it, we realized that it was never going to actually cover what he needed, and he was paying about $3,000 a month out of pocket to cover the doctor visits and medications his family needed. We started to build this spreadsheet just to figure out what was going on, and uh, pulled data and started to realize that data was really difficult to get. And then needed a PAD and insurance to figure this stuff out. Put a lot of math behind it and then started testing it out with friends. So, Christine, um, it, it, it's interesting. Uh, these days in, in 2017, the, the topic about the economy is that artificial intelligence is, is, is hurting people. It's, uh, it's, if people are losing jobs as a result of it. What you and your, uh, and your co-founder have discovered is that by using data and by using machine learning and artificial intelli- intelligence, you're actually able to help people. Uh, give us some examples uh, of, of how that data that you've, uh, the, you've learned throughout your career, but also uh, that you are working with, uh, you're working with, I know, pretty much a wide spectrum of health plans. You mentioned Kaiser, you mentioned Humana, Aetna, Anthem, and so on and so on and so on. How, what are the stories that are impacting this? And, and, and I, I just asked uh, our, our recent guest, what's your vision uh, for uh, for Joni over these next five years? Yeah, so, I mean, 
you know, the interesting thing is artificial intelligence and machine learning can sound really terrifying. Um, but, I mean, the reality of what we're using it for is to actually offset cognitive tasks. So the fact need this PhD practically, right, in math, statistics, um, and health insurance to really understand the data and do the advanced math behind the scenes um, makes it pretty much impossible for a an average consumer to be able to do that. Nor do you have to spend two to three weeks research figuring, figuring that out. So our idea takes about 52, or our algorithm takes about 52 different data points. Um, we take everything from the medications you take to um, the finances of a health plan. And I'll give you an example of that. We have... We had a client, um, and one of the ways we started getting better at the algorithms is figuring out real-life cases, but we had a client that used a drug called Humira. Humira is incredibly expensive. It can be about $1,200 in injection, um, and so you can easily spend about $12,000 a year on Humira. Very few health plans cover Humira. Um, if you find a health plan that covers Humira, um, and you pay, let's say, 200 an injection, that is quite the deal. But if that health plan has a track record of adding a drug to their, what's called a formulary, which is basically the list of drugs that they cover, and then drops them midger, which happens very often, you don't want that health plan because you're going to get stuck and, and maybe have paid more in a premium or whatever it is to try to, to get them covered. So we also do analysis in the background um, on trends on how a health plan behaves almost um, within their own product lines, um, and we do that for the last two-year period. Um, another thing we do is we can get very predictive on what kind of insurance you need on the medications you take as well as the number of doctors that we can start at. If you take a certain kind of, I mean, if you take um, any kind of heart medication, we can assume that you're probably seeing a cardiologist. And so we will account for that and make sure we're looking for a plan that's very rich with that. If you're taking ADHD medications, we can assume a lot with that too. Um, usually with ADHD in that category, you probably have some anxiety. You might be seeing a doctor for those reasons. You definitely are seeing um, a psychologist or psychiatrist that dispenses that ADHD medication as well as your own sense, and there's other things you might have that may develop over time. So we want to look at a plan that would actually cover all of those. Sure. So, Christine, uh, I, I, we only have about two minutes remaining, and I want to make sure uh, that uh, that our listeners understand. I know on uh, on your website, which we'll of course share with our listeners tonight. Um, Joni is really being uh, being called the healthcare concierge. Um, why is that term uh, appropriate? And and I know you've talked a lot about the plans and and helping sort of identify and navigate on that side. But what about the decisions like finding a doctor and uh, and some of those very practical decisions that I know are so stressful for so many people? Yeah, there's not. So once you buy insurance. You're- you pretty much drop off of anything else, right? So a broker traditionally or a health plan won't really do anything else with you um, other than send you a bill. So that's where we step in. We believe that consumers need to actually have someone in their back pocket that is taking care of all of the other things that come with after you buy insurance one time a year. 
So our concierge service is driven by machine learning and experts within humans. Um, it does everything, takes care of everything for free that you would need, finding a doctor in the network, outside of the network, whatever it is specific you're looking for. If you need help paying a bill um, and figuring out bills should be paid, a lot of times we get these and aren't sure what they mean, we'll fight the bill for you as well. Um, anything to do with finding prescription, um, like lower prescription drug costs, um, pharmacies, um, pretty much anything to do with managing your health insurance um, so, is where we see the future here with this. It, it, it's incredible, and you truly are uh, bridging those worlds of healthcare and technology and making an impact on so many thousands and thousands of people. And I know that our listeners will be hearing a lot about the work of Joni. Um, but uh, in the meantime, I, I would love to make sure that our listeners can find out more about the work that you're doing. And, and I, I, I know they can search by zip code. How can they find you online? www.joni.com Okay, J-O-A-N-Y.com. Check it out. It's the easiest way to get health insurance. You can find the best plan. Very, very quick process. Christine, thank you so much for joining us. We'll be sure to have you back on in the coming weeks. But we've got more tips, advice, and information coming for you after this quick break. Welcome back to Get Down to Business. We are the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship powered by our friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. Check them out online, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. Thrilled to be joined by Lior Vaknin, uh, who is the founder and president at Israeli Startups NYC, which is the largest Israeli-American tech community in New York, and I know that you uh, you certainly uh, have have brought a, a definition to the uh, to the very very popular term startup nation. Lior, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Hi, Shalom. Uh, well, it's great to have you on the program. So uh, I'd love to hear a little bit about uh, about the community that you've been building in New York. I'd love to hear uh, your story of how you got involved in that, and then, uh, of course, I'd love to have a discussion with you about the about the uh, about the uh, community of uh, entrepreneurship and technology that's really developing. Uh, so, Lior, tell us uh, tell us how you got started. Okay, so first of all, is the startup NYC is, um, I'm sorry about the background um, Israeli startup NYC is a community I started in 2013 after arriving as an Israeli entrepreneur to New York, where I found out two things that really bothered me. First was the fact that even though there are a lot of Israeli entrepreneurs there, there wasn't much of a community. And second was that if, when I talked to the average person on the street, um, his notion of Israel was mostly focused on the conflict with the Palestinians or his general idea of what Israel is about is uh, just another um, Middle Eastern, um, you know, desert um, and so forth. And so I wanted to really work and change these two, uh, these two things. Now, Israeli Startups NYC started as a side project, and apparently there was a void, and so it grew to really become uh, one of the largest uh, Israeli-American tech communities in the country today. We have uh, over 6,000 people, and um, actually, I, in June uh, of this year, I decided uh, to take this uh, venture and go around the country 
um, and share the story of what Israel is all about in all 50 states. So, Lior, I, I think that I think that for so many people, they uh, you know they think of Israel as a beautiful country. Uh, they think of Israel as a as a tourist destination. Um, you're focusing on something very very interesting, which is the business, uh, the economics, the entrepreneurship, uh, which is, which truly is a fascinating conversation. So, we'll talk small business in just a few minutes. We'll talk about the entrepreneurship, but uh, you have developed partners. In your work, uh, as you mentioned, traveling around the country, uh, discussing these uh, these stories, uh, your partners include Microsoft, AOL, Amazon, WeWork, uh, and you've received a lot of attention. Tell us a little bit about those big companies and the and their uh, their connection in Israel and their uh, structure on the ground in Israel. Okay, so um, first of all, a lot of the big corporations um, have made it their goal to get in touch and get connected to the ground to see what uh, interesting startups and interesting companies are coming up with. Uh, For example, Microsoft, now a lot of their uh, focus is around their um, cloud services. It's called Azure. And they're the the biggest competitor, I would say, of uh, Amazon, um, Amazon uh, Cloud services is, uh, I'm, I'm thinking, that the largest, the largest player in, in this field. And so they are doing whatever they can in order to get connected. And with the fact that we have the ability uh, to bring the people, bring the entrepreneurs at a very early stage um, to, to, a specific, to a specific room and have them, you know, be familiarized with this type of service and with these uh, kind of advantage that um, a company like Microsoft can offer uh, to an entrepreneur as an, as an early start, especially when you don't have a lot of funding, so sure. you kind of cut the cost uh, wherever you can. Um, and as you probably know, uh, hosting and, and, um, and cloud services can cost a lot of money, especially when you start to gain uh, users and traction. And so it was a natural fit, and same goes with, uh, with WeWork. With, uh, you know, I'm proud to say that it's an Israeli-American company, and it grew to be um, very, very large uh, 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 corporation now. With, uh, I think its last valuation they just raised around was over $20 billion, and they're offering um, uh, co-working and, and shared office space all over the world. And for them, it's also really being able to, to reach the crowd and reach the, the community uh, who needs their services. So we, we kind of find natural partners, uh, people that can help us with what, uh, uh, with what we're looking um, and we can help them in bringing... Lior, I'm going to have to squeeze in a, a very quick break in, in just a moment, but I do want to talk to you once we come back from that break regarding the mentality and the mindset of Startup Nation. We'll talk about that in a moment, but real quick, if you don't mind, tell us a, a little bit about ISNYC and the bridge that you've been building, specifically in New York, because perhaps it could be a model in Chicago. What kinds of events are you putting on? So we've been putting on events that are networking, but it also has the element of keynote speakers, panel, uh, um, and everything that is related to Israeli tech. So we have a pitch night event where we bring, every few months we bring uh, five companies 
early stage companies that we see uh, are amazing, um, Lior. We're, we're going to be right back and we'll talk some more about that. We're talking with Lior Vaknin. We'll be right back on Get Down to Business. We are back on Get Down to Business, and I'm chatting with Lior Vaknin, the, uh, the, the expert on uh, Startup Nation. Uh, and you are traveling all 50 states talking about uh, the small business and entrepreneurial scene, the connection between Israel and the United States. Um, but Lior, I would love to talk to you uh, just a little bit about what the Startup Nation mentality. There are so many entrepreneurs, there are so many uh, innovators in Israel that are developing fascinating companies What's behind it? What's the mindset? What's, uh, why are they so successful at developing these businesses that, uh, that folks around the world are hearing about, whether it's in healthcare or technology? Um, it's, you know, it's a great question, and a lot of people have been asking it, and I would reference uh, to uh, one great book that covers really um, some of the reasons, and it's called, the name of the book is Startup Nation, but... In my opinion, it really uh, it boils down down to culture, um, the Israeli culture. It embraces failure, which is a huge part of building um, building companies and building startups. So people aren't afraid to fail, and they understand that it's part of the the learning curve and it's part of your way to success. Where in a lot of uh, cultures, um, once you're a failure, you're kind of a uh, you're embarrassed by it, and, and you don't want people to know about it. So Israeli culture um, really embraces it. And another thing is challenging authority, and we know it by the Israeli term chutzpah, uh, this, uh, uh, that, that we have the nerve to, to do things that are bolder, do things and challenge companies, challenge big, uh, big corporations, multi-billion dollar companies, and say, no, you know what, even though we're young and we're two or three People, team, we can do a better work than you do, and I think that those really those are the two key elements of being successful um, in building um, a startup and later on bigger companies. Those are two great points, Lior, of uh, of how uh, young uh, American companies can learn from uh, from Israeli startups. Uh, two great, uh, you know, points, uh, 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 foundational points. Uh, that I think are often overlooked. But I know this is not what you talk about uh, frequently, but I, I love to sort of push the limits a little bit. Do you believe that there's things that Israeli companies can learn from uh, from their American counterparts, from an entrepreneur in uh, in New York City or in Chicago uh, that, uh, that maybe can help them improve? Because I know, Lior, a lot of the work that you're doing is trying to create networking and build the bridge between uh, the business community in Israel and in North America. What can the Israelis learn from us Americans? So, first of all, I, you know, it's humbling to think of, of Israel as a country of only around 8 million people and um, even be on the same level of, you know, what the Americans can learn from Israelis and Israelis can learn from Americans. But uh, I think the two points, uh, that I really noticed that are really strong with, uh, with the American um, you know, startups and, and ecosystem is, one, the fact of follow-ups, and it's about building relationships long-term. Um, a lot of times this is something that uh, Israelis come here to America and they want to raise a round of funding. Uh, when they get the no, is like, okay, he doesn't want to invest. 
screw him, I'll go to the next, to the next guy. Um, and I think that we can do a better job at this. And the second part is a lot about the marketing and branding. And Israelis, especially those who are coming for the uh, building the startups and building those big technology companies, are coming from a more uh, technical point of view of where I have this great algorithm or I I build this great uh, artificial intelligence machine and it will sell itself where we know in America the importance of uh, building and packaging it the right way. So I think that those two elements are key for, for businesses in general, and are, there is room for improvement with the Israeli startups and Israeli entrepreneurs. It's, uh, it's, uh, those are some great points. And uh, your point regarding, the, uh, regarding how impactful uh, Israel is, uh, even with a, a relatively small population, uh, certainly changing the world. And that uh, I certainly encourage all of our listeners to check out the book, Startup Nation, uh, to learn a little bit more about some of those examples of the impact on technology and healthcare. And there's so many other industries as well. Uh, Lior, there are some fascinating business examples that have uh, been started in Tel Aviv or, or even in some other communities. I, I, I was actually just in, uh, in Israel just uh, six, seven weeks ago, and I'm walking down the beach in Tel Aviv and I see a small office and it says Wix.com. And Wix is a company, a website uh, creator that so many uh, North Americans uh, identify with and we hear ads for it on the radio. Did you know it's from Israel? And I know, Lior, you probably have uh, hundreds and thousands of examples. So you're on a 50-state tour uh, telling the story. How can our listeners learn more and find out more about uh, Startup Nation and uh, the importance of building the connection between Israeli and North American companies? So uh, there are a few resources that I like to uh, send people. One of them is Maps in Israel. Um, it's a great platform that allows people to search through keywords and tags and, uh, and relevant categories to whatever you're interested in. The, the average listener is, is interested. If he's interested in um, cars, he can look up the tag of cars and see what kind of startups are focusing on that. Digital health, marketing, cybersecurity, and so on. So this is one uh, one resource resource that I would recommend. And um, of course, you can follow me on my journey. And I'm planning again on visiting all 50 states, so you can um, hopefully hear me talk. More. We're slowly losing Lior, so look him up online, uh, Lior Vaknin. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm gonna get down to business. We'll be right back. And now it's time for your business tip of the week, which can be heard daily on the morning show at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. Have you ever thought about really getting to know your candidates? Yes. So many of our listeners are posting jobs right now, spreading the word about open positions, trying to staff up, whether it's for the holidays, for the end of the year. There's so much that goes into running a company, and you need people to do it. So you're promoting these positions, and finally you start to get some responses, And now it's time for the interview process. And that might be uh, something that many uh, employers dread. Uh, 
But uh, think about it from the candidates' side. Uh, candidates today are pretty savvy, and they're, they look perfect for a job on paper. But how can you conduct an interview that will tell you whether they truly know their stuff, are a good cultural fit for your organization, have the competencies and skills that you're looking for in an employee? If by asking a variety of thought-provoking and sometimes creative, interactive interview questions will allow insight into a person's knowledge, skills, and abilities. And I've heard so many interesting stories over these past few years of uh, millennials um, and young folks that are out there uh, looking for jobs and they've been interviewed by interesting companies that, and they are asked the most bizarre, the most odd questions and I know there must be something behind it. So I did a little bit of research um, on behalf of all of you loyal listeners that get down to business, I wanted you to understand why companies like Google and so many other companies are asking questions. Your candidate should always possess the knowledge needed to complete the job, right? No brainer. Questions that will determine whether the, whether the candidates truly possess the skills and knowledge to perform the job at hand are usually the first asked, and rightfully so. Just make sure that those are not the only questions that are asked. Your candidate should be a strong communicator. Um, so you can ask questions like, explain something to me in five minutes that's complicated, but that you know well. That's a very open-ended question that will require your candidates to talk a little bit. And in the course of the answer, you will, you will uncover whether they actually know their stuff. You're actually encouraging a long answer to a question, and that will get, uh, hopefully, the, uh, the fluff out of the way. Uh, you want to ask, tell me about a time you proposed a new program or idea to your organization. How did you get buy-in from your colleagues what communication tools have you used do you find the tools efficient why or why not you'll learn a little bit about what they can bring to the table creativity you want to ask tell me about a time that you've dealt with an angry customer coworker, or a manager and tell me about a difficult conversation that you've had with a manager peer or a direct report and how did it go and what method of communication do you prefer email phone instant message or text by asking all of those questions, you will get to know the person behind the resume. You will get to know what, how good of a communicator they are. And communication clearly is one of the most important skills that will make or break a new hire. Um, you could ask a lot of other questions about competencies and skills. Obviously, that's impacted by what kind of company you are in. If you're in technology, you'll clearly have different questions. Problem solving. This is really where it gets fun. You want to ask questions like, what was the best idea you came up with in your current position? Describe a stressful work situation. Tell me about a work-related problem that you have not solved yet. Name a situation in which you found a creative way to overcome an obstacle. And give an example of a time when you anticipated potential problems and developed preventative measures. All of those questions you will be able to figure out, can your candidate problem solve? By asking a variety of questions that allow a candidate to open up and tell stories, relax and be themselves as much as possible, give you a much better idea of how likely the candidate is to succeed in both the role and in your company itself. Make sure you schedule enough time to go through all the questions you have for each candidate. Good candidates will also come up with their own questions, so be sure to allow for additional time. We had a fantastic lineup of guests. We learned a lot about Team Fig, we learned about Joni, and we learned about Startup Nation. Hope you enjoyed today's program. We'll be on next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560, The Answer. For additional information on how to find the perfect candidate for your company, which I spent the past few minutes talking about, uh, we realize that culture 
and workplace are so important. You want to contact our friends at Tandem HR. They are a PEO, professional employer organization, and they work with hundreds of businesses, bring HR payroll and benefit solutions. Find them online, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. To success, let's get down to business. Oh. 